0: The single greatest way to pull somebody out of loneliness is to tell them that you need their help. Welcome to Hardly Working, a podcast about how we can improve work, life, and everything in between. These are recordings from live conversations on Fishbowl, a social network where professionals of the same industry have anonymous career conversations. You can join us live next time on the Fishbowl app. We have events every day. All right, let's get right into it
1: hello everyone thank you for your your attention today and we're looking forward to this conversation and we have prepared questions for the other person so steve has no idea the questions i'm going to ask him nor do i have any idea what he's going to ask me so this is unscripted this is a first and an exclusive experience just for the folks here on fishbowl or maybe I should say in Fishbowl. I'm not sure what the appropriate verbiage is there. Um, so this is exciting. We're really looking forward to this. If you have questions, feel free to use the direct message throughout. We'll be monitoring that here and there. But at the end, our hope is to unmute and promote some of you to the, to the stage, ask questions as well. So again, thanks for being here. And then we've got some giveaways that we'll be doing, and we'll tell you a little bit about those later on in our conversation. But I'm going to kick things off here first and foremost. So my first question for my esteemed co-author is, as someone who has studied loneliness for years, what stands out to you the most?
0: You didn't give me like a nice easy question to start with. You gave me probably the the biggest, most in-depth conversation to explore, Ryan. So I I appreciate you (laughs) kicking things off with a bang. So what surprised me the most, you know, I would say I had this notion before we did our research that loneliness was isolated to a select few people. And those people would be classified as highly introverted and maybe socially awkward. And the research we uncovered put all of that to rest. That is not the case. All of us feel lonely and we learned that it's a universal human emotion similar to how hunger reminds us it's time to eat loneliness is simply a biological reminder to forge a connection it's a nature's cue that we belong together and as we got into the real data and started to uncover some of our research it blew me away at just how pervasive this problem is you know we surveyed 2000 global uh, workers and we learned that 72% of the global workforce feels lonely on a monthly basis, with 55% saying that they feel lonely on a weekly basis. And as we've done events for huge clients, we've learned that that population subset ebbs and flows. And in the most surprising event we did, Ryan, with you know the Fortune 20 company that we did this work for, we learned that 81% of that generation felt lonely on a daily or a weekly basis, which was alarming. So... While I went into this thinking, "Hey, we're probably going to write this book for a smaller audience," it's become abundantly clear that that's not the case. That it's something that impacts all of us. So that's probably been the most surprising and eye-opening thing that I feel we've uncovered through this journey together.
1: Yeah, and that, that sets the tone well and gives listeners here a good context of of some of the research we've done, and certainly. Loneliness has been, was increasing before the pandemic. The pandemic really put a spotlight on it and it accelerated loneliness. But you know what? In in our mind, that means because it's increasing, that means it's malleable and it can decrease. And I'm sure throughout our conversation here, we'll be sprinkling in some strategies on how we can think about lessening loneliness in the context of work.
0: Love it. All right. So here's my question. It's a little bit easier. I'm not giving you the 100-mile-an-hour fastball right at the, (laughs) the beginning of our conversation. So my first question to you, my friend, is what is your favorite line from the book and why?
1: Favorite line. I think the line that jumps out the most to folks that in our conversation over the two years that we've been immersed in loneliness, the one that we get an audible sign or grunt or something from folks when we say it that gives us an indication that oh my gosh like that was an aha moment and it's not just one line but i think it's it's essentially two lines and it's the definition of loneliness because it's jarring to many folks and it's this that loneliness isn't the absence of people it's the absence of connection so i'll say it one more time well loneliness isn't the absence of people it's the absence of connection so when we share that with folks, we usually get folks to lean in. And I think that's one of my favorite lines because it's really eye-opening for a lot of folks. And many of our listeners here in the fishbowl, you could probably relate, right? You've probably been in a crowded office or a crowded event or a crowded coffee shop, and you can still feel isolated. You can still feel disconnected. So loneliness isn't the absence of people. It's the absence of connection. And in the book, we go, we explore those connections. So we we explore how do you strengthen the connections to yourself, to the connections with your team members, with your leader, with the organization, with the work itself. How do we connect ourselves to more meaning and purpose at work? So there's all these connections that we should be thinking about as it relates to helping us reduce isolation and loneliness. So the answer to your question, Steve, that the answer, the line that stood out to most is loneliness isn't the absence of people but it's the absence of connection.
0: That's not my favorite, it's top 5. So, you know. I'm <laughs> so uh, glad you I'm glad you shared that one. The one that sums it up for me and it's similar to yours is the way that I think about loneliness and it's loneliness is being seen through and belonging is being seen as, right? When you are face to face with somebody immersed in a conversation, you can still feel incredibly lonely if that person is looking through you if they're not giving you their undivided attention and in a world where we are busier than ever and the margin that we have to connect with the people around us is so slim unfortunately too many are looking through the people um especially even the people that they should be looking at more deeply so that line to me encapsulates a lot of the essence and importance of you know what this whole conversation
1: Wonderful. I like that line, too. And we hear that from a lot of folks, too, that that one stands out to them as well. All right. And my next question for you, my friend, is tell us about a time that you personally experienced loneliness or isolation at work.
0: (laughs) So so the first question was a tough one. This is even tougher. I don't know what to expect with the third, fourth and fifth question. Oh, my goodness, my friend. So. We wrote this story in the book, and for you know people on the call, they don't they don't know me, but I am as extroverted as they get. And I have an abundant amount of confidence. I'm blessed with a huge family and lots of friends. And up until I was twenty four years old, I never felt lonely before. But at twenty four years old, I took a very random job in a very random place, a place called Elko, Nevada. And if anybody on the call knows where Elko, Nevada is, congratulations, you get 100 points. It's a tiny little town in northeast Nevada, about three hours uh, away from Salt Lake City, so it's a ton of thirty thousand. I'm born and bred uh, in Chicago, Illinois. So I'm a I'm a big city slicker who moved to this really tiny town. And when I moved there, it was for a great job opportunity, and I was really excited. It was my first consulting job, um, working for a really huge company. It was an international mining company, and I wasn't worried about loneliness at all. I knew I'd make friends. I knew I'd have a lot of coworkers to be able to you know engage with. And it took me four months. Four months of not knowing people, not feeling included. I'm from a big city. I moved to a place where hunting and fishing and you know four by fouring and doing all this stuff that was totally out of my my normal realm of activities was the norm. And I felt so lonely, and it got to be where it was really hard for me to get off the couch on the weekends. And I put on a bunch of weight and I just went into this slump. And even though I was still connected with friends and families, and I had a big community of people outside of Elko, it was the daily interactions with people who just didn't care about me, didn't really recognize me, weren't interested in getting to know me, and it felt awful. And for anybody who has ever moved to to a new city or moved to a new team or has ever had to experience what it's like to be around people who don't really care about you, it sucks. It sucks. I lived in Elko, Nevada for a year, and that whole year was the worst year of my entire life. So luckily, when I was able to leave that job and move on to greener pastures and get back to a community of people that really did have interest and care about me, um, my loneliness instantly was subsided. And it was one of those experiences, Ryan, that I don't wish on anyone. And it was something that I hated having to go through.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I knew I could go in that direction because you showed that story in the book. So I knew that wasn't territory that was off limits, but no, thanks for going there. And yeah, and there's different flavors of loneliness. And what Steve just described there is what you would call situational loneliness, right? To where you're, you move teams or departments, or you move to a different city like Steve did. You know, there's a situation that can bring on loneliness, and there's other flavors of it as well. But I'll leave it at that. So, again, thanks for sharing, Steve.
0: Yeah. All right. So here's my question: Five years from now, will people be more or less lonely, and why?
1: Well, at the current trajectory, it would be fair to assume that people would be more lonely. And when we researched the over 2,000 global workers, one of the questions we asked folks was, what contributes most to your or others' loneliness? And the top response was technology and social media. close second was busyness. And technology and social media, so so if you're thinking that the top thing that we all feel like is, is contributing most to our loneliness is technology and social media, well, those seem to be areas that only are accelerating. You know, especially as you think of blockchain and artificial AR and, and virtual reality and the metaverse, all these things are really starting to encroach on our connections. Now, Steve and I are very clear, we never want to bash technology because technology is useful and it's been a tremendous tool for humanity. But if we're not careful, we will continue to gravitate towards those tools and the convenience of technology, and we will neglect connection. And we argue in the book that while connection is not our most urgent need, connection and belonging with other humans is our most dire need. And that's proven by one of the longest studies of adult development done by Harvard University, which studied over 2,000 individuals for over 80 years. It's a it's a, it's a study that's still going on. And the definitive answer to a long and healthy life, that, according to this study, is quality relationships. So, belonging, human connection is so dire to our well-being. And I think all of us are wildly underestimating how much we need human connection. So while we will continue to adopt technology, because we will adopt technology as long as the benefits slightly outweigh the risks, we will continue to adopt technology. But the reason we adopt technology is because it makes our life, it enriches our lives. And oftentimes things are more convenient. So if we're saving time by adopting this technology, I would hope we can use that extra time to forge new connections and to guard time on our calendars and our lives to actually uh, forge new connections and nurture existing ones. So to answer your question, are we going to be more or less? If we are at the current pace we're at, I think folks are going to be more lonely, but I'm hopeful that through conversations like these and all the resources that we've created and are looking forward to sharing with folks, I'm optimistic that we can balance this out and we can hopefully strike the appropriate balance. And one of the things we like to say is loneliness isn't pro- a problem to solve. It's a tension to manage because we won't get rid of, you- of loneliness because loneliness is useful, as Steve talked about at the top of our time together. It's our nudge. It's our cue that we belong to each other. And it's a, it's a useful uh, emotion for us to, as a reminder, to connect with others, and so we're not just going to get rid or get over loneliness. It's uh, it'll always be there, so it's always a tension that we'll have to manage.
0: Well, I unfortunately agree with you because the research that we uncovered shows a very stark trend. In 2018, we learned that 61 percent of Americans feel regularly lonely. Our research, which we did during 2019, 2020, and 2021, escalated that number from 61% to 72%, and we know that the loneliest generation on the planet is currently Gen Z, which is 25-year-olds and younger. So while, obviously, the pandemic has created an accelerated growth for why people are feeling more lonely than before, in 2018, before the pandemic started, the majority of Americans were still feeling lonely. And if you go back into earlier studies, it's continuously trending in the wrong direction. And to your point, Ryan, unless there is a major counterbalance, I I agree with you. It is um, a scary situation that we all need to be extra mindful of.
1: Tell me your favorite quote about loneliness. And then tell us what does it inform us about workplace loneliness?
0: Instead of giving you a quote, I'm going to give you one of the Standout conversations that I had when we did our research, because the conversation I had with Dr. Stephen Cole is, in my opinion, the most eye-opening conversation that I had as we were doing a lot of the work that we were doing. Dr. Stephen Cole is a genomics researcher out of the University of California Los Angeles. So he's a researcher out of UCLA and he studies loneliness at the molecular level, which is really fascinating. And he's a a very well known thought leader as it relates to loneliness research. And we had a conversation, me and him spent about an hour and a half talking, and I was asking all these questions and I'm learning all this stuff. And before the conversation, my knee-jerk reaction to how to lessen loneliness is to simply just put two people together. Right. So if I'm feeling lonely and you're feeling lonely, well let's just let's get together. Right. And if we're in the same room at the same point in time and you're talking and I'm talking, boom, loneliness is going to be just eradicated like that. And he said, that's absolutely not the case. (laughs) And he said, oftentimes if you put two people together who are feeling lonely, it is a catastrophe because neither person wants to be there and it can be really awkward and it can reinforce these uncomfortable feelings of social disconnection. So he said, Stephen, from the research I've done, the single greatest way to pull somebody out of loneliness is to tell them that you need their help. He said, when you can make somebody feel Valuable and significant, that is the secret to allowing people to feel less lonely. He essentially said, You should go to somebody around you and and say, Ryan, I really need your help with X, Y, and Z because you're so good at this, this, and this. Can you help me? And when we do that on a regular basis, and work is a phenomenal place for us to leverage this strategy, it allows that person to feel validated and to feel like, appreciated and and like they matter and and his research proves that's the best way to do it and as we have conversations with our clients and as we introduce our strategies i always love that one because loneliness is still a topic that is very charged it's very shrouded in shame it's uncomfortable it's sensitive people don't want to talk about it but when we work with our leaders and our clients and we say hey you don't need to talk about loneliness directly you can just focus on making somebody feel really significant by asking for their help and getting them included. That tends to be one of the best mechanisms that, that we've been using with a lot of success. So for me, Ryan, that's my favorite all-encompassing con- conversation that I had. And there was a lot of good quotes that came from that conversation that we put in the book.
1: Yes, I'm so glad you shared that. And Steve, Cole, is, is brilliant. And thank you for sharing that. And it is extremely helpful. And since you did give us a quote, I'm going to give you and the listeners my favorite quote, and it's by the late Robin Williams, who was an actor and comedian. And he had this poetic quote about loneliness. He said, quote, I used to think the worst thing in life was to end up all alone. It's not. The worst thing in life is to end up with people who make you feel all alone. And that has stuck with me throughout this whole journey. And I think one of the the things that that speaks to me is that, you know, all of us should have in the back of our mind this this universal relationship law, and that is that we never make someone feel alone, especially when you're with them. And so I think that's something we, we can all do a better job at, especially in the workplace.
0: Yeah. Beautifully doing? said. Beautifully said. All quotes are going to be directed to you at this point in time, because that was just so masterful, Ryan. So here's a, a question. What's the most underrated practice for building strongly connected teams? And before you answer that question, a little bit of context. You know, our book is focused on lessening loneliness and boosting belonging. However, most of the research and strategy and things Ryan and I have talked through and come up with have to do with building really strongly connected teams. So that's why I'm asking him this question. What's the most underrated practice for building strongly connected teams?
1: I'm going to say it's clarity, having clarity. And i see people are going, what? <laughs> what? What does that have to do with, with a connection across the team? And remember, the definition of loneliness, it's not the absence of people, it's the absence of connection. And what we are seeing time and time again is confusion inside organizations and team members that are confused as to the purpose of the organization, the mission of the team, what they're supposed to do day in and day out. So there's confusion and our brain doesn't like to be confused. We like to sort things out. Our brain is constantly trying to sort things out. And think about it this way. I think if, you, if I was to hand you a, a, a map and it was confusing and it was wrong or half of it was missing and you went on a hike and you got lost, that typically leads to becoming lonesome and fearful, right? If you're lost, you don't know exactly where you're going. That can be a very isolating experience. And we came across this when we were studying astronauts. Specifically, we were st- uh, looked at Christina Koch and her story and her journey. She is the astronaut, female astronaut, that has spent the most time consecutively in space. She spent over 320 days on the International Space Station, and she only saw a total of 11 people. <laughs> My fellow introverts uh, <laughs> rejoice, right? <laughs> we loved looking at astronauts because it was you know, these are professionals that are operating in extreme isolation. So we wanted to know how, how do they function and how do they keep loneliness at bay? And how do they keep a strong mental health when they're in such extreme isolation? And Christina Koch, what she says to, to keep loneliness in check is regimentation. It's essentially clarity in our day-to-day activities. So she is very clear constantly on what she's doing And then, of course, she has a clarity in the bigger mission, which is safely up and safely down. That is underrated. And consistently, what we see is missing from a lot of folks. And that's not something when you're talking about loneliness, I mean, you're kind of a knee-jerk reaction is to go to creating connections between people. But again, it's not the absence of people. It's the absence of connection. And if we as individuals, as leaders inside of organizations, if we can create more clarity and giving clear direction and connecting people you know have have it helping them to draw a straight line from the work they do to the people benefiting from that work. that's where we can see lessening uh, loneliness is to lessen and more of that connection and belonging to occur.
0: yeah, that's one of my favorites. The other one that I love is the idea of being interruptible, and the concept of being interruptible was. Proven to me when I was in my senior year at the University of Illinois, so if we have any other fighting Illini on the conversation, go Illini. And my junior year, my favorite professor there, his name was Dr. Robert. Husband, senior year, he wasn't my professor anymore, but I was in the building where I knew his office was, and I just wanted to drop in and say hello. I was really confused on what I wanted to do after school, and I thought maybe he would give me some advice, and I'll never forget this, Ryan. I come around the corner. I know it's not office hours. I'm no longer his student. I peek my head into his office. He's reading his book. He spots me from the corner of his eye. He puts down his book. He turns his chair directly towards the door where I'm standing. He stands up and he says, Stephen, it is so good to see you, my friend. Come on in. And he ushered me in with a big smile. And we had a 45-minute chat. And he was really helpful in giving me some clarity. Right, You talk about clarity and how important that is. He gave me some much needed clarity on what to do post-school. He actually gave me the recommendation for the grad school program to consider, which I inevitably pursued and got into, which was a a life-changing experience for me. But it was this idea that in the moment, he very well could have said, hey, sorry, Stephen, it's not during office hours. Hey, sorry, Stephen, let me just finish this chapter. Can you come back in a few minutes? Hey, sorry, Stephen, I'm really busy. But he didn't. He gave me his undivided attention. He swiveled right towards me. And we call it the swivel effect, right? Like how quickly do you turn to somebody who needs you in a moment? And now when our calendars essentially have five minute increments in between every little thing we have to do, it's harder and harder to be interruptible to the people around us. And yet that interruptibility is really important in creating a culture of belonging. Because when you turn towards somebody who needs you, that half second is validation that you want them there that they're needed, and they're desirable. So the more interruptible we can be, the better. And in my opinion, Ryan, that is one of the most underrated
1: strategies that we can all include and be better from. Wonderful. Yes, indeed. Be interruptible. All right, my turn to ask a question of you, my friend. And a little context for our audience. Steve did a masterful job over the two years of unpacking loneliness, worked alongside 50 different leaders, And at this point, hundreds of different organizations, but Steve specifically was doing some tremendous work on really unpacking what the marketplace and what different organizations and leaders were doing specifically to lessen loneliness inside the organizations. So Steve, throughout all of those organizations, I want to hear from you. What's your favorite or perhaps your most memorable example of what a company or leader did to help lessen loneliness at work? That's a great question.
0: My favorite example comes from a woman named Felicia White, and she's the VP of Learning and Development and Diversity and Inclusion for Churches Chicken. So, when you think about corporate strategy, you think of fried chicken, not so much. But Felicia White was one of my favorite interviews that we did for the book, and I interviewed her right during the heart of all the shutdowns in the pandemic. And Felicia, is extremely creative. And she came up with these awesome ways to build connection with the corporate team at Church's Chicken during a time when everyone is out of the office and feeling isolated and disconnected. And her strategy was to get down to the personal level with all of the employees within her sort of arm's reach, people who worked for her in HR and learning and development and inclusion, et cetera. And she said something really cool. She said, Steve, when events happen that impact you on a personal level, you got to find ways to connect on a personal level. So instead of just doing virtual happy hours, we actually talk about in the book why virtual happy hours are terrible ideas, because oftentimes they're done really poorly, and it could cause a negative impact versus a positive impact. Now, Felicia went way above virtual happy hours. And she found ways to integrate these really cool social connection activities in the premise of work. So this wasn't, hey, stay after after you've already worked a late day. This was how can we find time to do things that are connective during working hours that is going to allow us to see one another. And uh, my favorite, Ryan, this might be a bit scary for My introverts out there, but she did a virtual karaoke activity. So people got to pick their favorite song and get on Zoom and sing karaoke during working hours. Thought that was pretty cool. And then she introduced an exercise called Show and Tell. Show and Tell is the ability to channel our inner four-year-old. Each person found one item from their house that means a lot to them, and every. Monday on their morning meeting call, each person would, would share what that item is. And they'd take five to 10 minutes just to do this exercise and have people connect and learn about each other in a really unique way. And there's like 25 of these examples in the book that we use. But it was essentially her ability to get really creative, to do things, socializing in a smarter, more productive, more fun, and, and less tacky weird way. And uh, I love my conversation with her.
1: What did you tell me the other day that your new go-to karaoke song would be?
0: Melissa Etheridge. which for those of you who's listening to me, I have a really big beard uh, and I kind of look like a hipster. So you wouldn't think that I would be on stage rocking out to Melissa Etheridge. but me and her have the same range, I guess. So next time me and you go out for karaoke run, you'll see me belting out some 90s (laughs) Melissa
1: Etheridge. Yes, I can't wait.
0: And in- invitations for all Fishbowl attendees to come when, if and when that happens.
1: <laughs> I'll share one example of, of what an organization is doing, and it relates to my previous comments around clarity. Uh, one of the uh, leaders that we highlighted in the book, um, not only did their organization create job descriptions, very clear and descriptive job descriptions, but they actually create what's called what they call job responsibilities. And it's literally a one line and every employee has this one line job responsibility and it's essentially that's what they're responsible for right when any when everything else is is hitting the fan and you're not sure what's up from down or what you need to prioritize you can defer to this responsibility statement and you know instantly this is what i need to focus on so again it's creating that clarity that connection to the work and an example they use is for for all interns that they have inside the organization the responsibility statement for interns are It's do what is asked of you and ask a lot of questions. That's it. At the end of the day, if they don't know what's going on or what they should be doing, they need to do what's asked of them and ask a lot of questions. And side note, I just think that's so brilliant because how many of us have started a new position? We have no idea what to do or, you know, what we're responsible for to have a one-line statement that you can hang your hat on. is pretty, pretty spectacular. But I also love this example because this is an organization that knows that, that, that uh, new talent inside an organization needs to be heard and seen, and that's why they encourage them to ask questions. Because oftentimes we're, you know, we can't see the label from inside the jar. So oftentimes it takes those outside eyes or those th- that fresh talent to see things on, uh, you know, that we're doing wrong or that could be improved. And they're certainly empowering their interns from that perspective. So that was the well, the, the add on that I wanted to to add there.
0: So Ryan, how about I ask you one more question? And then we open the floor a bit and see if anybody has any questions for us. That sounds good. Now, I've never asked you this question. And this question is the most emotionally charged question that I've, I'm ever going to ask you. So you ready? You strapped in?
1: <laughs> uh, no, but, but proceed.
0: The question is, how do I make you feel less lonely? <laughs>
1: set the stage here, give a little context. I'm an introvert. As Steve mentioned earlier, he's an extrovert. So we've had fun adding our different perspectives in the book. And for me, I I enjoy solitude and you see it in our different writing styles. So I typically can go away for days at a time and just focus on writing and just go extreme depth. (laughs) But as you can imagine, that's extremely isolating. Steve, you're always just a phone call away. And there were so many times that I'd get snarled in an idea or I couldn't push past something that we were, I was trying to communicate or or an idea we were trying to flesh out in the book and you're always there, my man phone call text. Yeah. You always have extraordinary amount of grace and always such an optimistic attitude that can even help me to step back from that ledge when I'm getting snarled in all this, all Um, these ideas that I want to tackle. So I think that's, that's it for me.
0: So I'm essentially your connection Sherpa. <laughs> I'm leading yes. you into the connection promise land is what I heard you say. And thank you for those kind words. I essentially just wanted some positive affirmation in front of the 200 people who decided to come listen to us talk. So thank you, yeah. my friend, for that.
1: Yeah, I'm very grateful for you and our partnership. And I just wrote an article earlier today about gratitude and how it is one of the silver bolts for loneliness. And what's tricky about loneliness is that it's it causes us to go inward, and we tend to be become hyper vigilant with our own personal emotions when we need to do is look outward, and that's the beauty of gratitude, right? Is you put yourself in someone else's shoes, or you're thinking about other things around you that you appreciate. So it kind of gets you outside of yourself. That's also why this strategy that Steve shared with Steve Cole, who shared, you know, ask people to get involved and ask them to help. Again, that pulls people in another good, simple strategy. If you see someone that's disconnecting or seems to be lonely is ask them for advice. So you're approaching them and say, hey, if you were me, what would you do about this situation? Again, that helps someone who might be disconnecting to all of a sudden think outside of themselves. So that's kind of the important note there. And so your question, Steve, allows me to think outside myself. And I am grateful for you, my friend.
0: Well, I'm grateful for you too, buddy. But instead of continuing to have a love fest, I would love to open the gates for any kind of questions. Here, Ryan, Megan asks this question. What are topics that shouldn't be talked about in a workplace? It's a great question, Megan. I would highly recommend that you do not go to your team members or your employees if you're a leader and say, "Uh, hey, are you feeling really lonely? You look kind of lonely. I think you are lonely do you want to talk about your loneliness? Definitely not the right way to approach this topic, even though you can assume that you have members on your team that are lonely, or you're working with people who are are around you, might be lonely. Our statistics show 72% of people feel regularly lonely. So you could assume that this is happening, but how you go about having those conversations takes a little bit of tact because unfortunately, loneliness is still shrouded in shame. It's still a very sensitive topic, and we have to be a bit careful of how we discuss it. So Ryan, that's a little bit of context, Now, I'll turn to you for what Megan should do.
1: Yeah, and unfortunately, loneliness has a stigma, and we've encountered this time and time again. I I just had a call with a very large law firm earlier today, and they know that their teams are are isolated, and many of them are experiencing loneliness, but they're also a little hesitant to, to broach the topic, which I get. And so sometimes we have to think about more creative ways. So we might phrase it as talking about uh, connections or belonging or inclusion. And so those are some ways to, to really you know, kind of use other terms that are more well, easily talked about. And obviously, I've been adopted in the workplace vernacular to use to kind of piggyback and start talking more about loneliness um, but at the end of the day you know loneliness shouldn't be shameful it's just a signal as we've discussed um, and we use an example in the book on the idea of Movember which I'm sure many of you are familiar with which is this group that uh, will you'll grow a mustache to raise awareness towards curing cancer they do this by not actually talking about cancer they simply grow a mustache and talk about Movember similarly you don't have to talk about loneliness you don't have to bring up the term inside the workplace if you feel like it's going to be one that's not going to be well-received, which is unfortunate, but certainly it's a reality. And so, again, using terms like belonging, inclusion, human connection, those sort of things can help kind of carry the the conversation. Steve and I would encourage you to to start talking about it and use conversations like these and use other materials that are out there to start the conversation because 100% of the time we broach the topic with clients or individuals You know, as we were writing this book, talking to friends and families, everyone always leans in when we bring up the topic of loneliness, because it's a universal human condition. Loneliness is no respecter of a person. We all experience it. And so we're finally ready to start talking about it. And it might take a while for that to become a little bit more adopted inside the workplace. But I think we're going to get there, especially as the conversation around mental health really increases. Uh, And as we have a a new generation entering the workforce who has loneliness, that's very top of mind for that generation, they're going to start having more conversations or want to talk about it. And then as we enter the uh, remote and hybrid work situations, I think it's only going to become more prevalent. So what topics, back to your question, what topics should we talk about? I'm sure there's a whole list of those. Loneliness probably used to be in that category. We're hoping to drag it out of that and put it in the light because it's time.
0: I'll also say, Megan, while the topic itself is still highly charged, we need to talk about it because the research is very clear. When someone on a team feels lonely, they're seven times more likely to be disengaged at work. They're five times more likely to miss work due to stress or illness. And they're twice as likely to think about quitting their job. Now, this is a very, very small data set that is within a very large data set that we break down in the book. There are lots and lots and lots of studies that prove how important belonging, inclusion, and connection is. And while we aren't talking about it enough in most teams, and I've been an external consultant for 14 years, and I've worked with some of the world's leading companies, it still is something that is hard to discuss. Our goal with the book, and by having these types of conversations is to hopefully make it a bit more accessible because when we don't talk about it, people will continue to feel a way that is bad for them. It's bad for humanity. It's bad for the workplace. It's bad for everyone. So hopefully we can find the right way to do this um, until it becomes a bit more normalized.
1: Thanks for the question, Megan. If you're not comfortable asking a question in this forum, if you visit lesslonely.com, you can contact Steve and I. If you hit the contact tab there and reach out to us, that comes directly to Steve or I so feel free to reach out to us there is our one-stop shop of all the resources and all of our work in this space uh, so feel free to contact us there back to my question to you Steve which was what are as a result of writing connectable how how do you find more daily connections with others
0: the the one of the things that i love the most is when we learn that connection can be lessened in 40 seconds my favorite research, some of my favorite research, there was a lot of it, but one of my favorite research studies was done by Nick Upley. And Nick Upley, he's a behavioral scientist research out of the University of Chicago. I'm biased, because I'm also from Chicago. And he was riding the CTA, he was riding the train into the city, a train that I've ridden many times throughout my life. And he thought to himself, why is this train so quiet? Like there are all of these amazing people with all of these stories and all of this knowledge and wisdom and, and jokes and things that they can share, and yet everyone's sitting here in silence. So as a behavioral scientist, he wanted to discover why that is, and he conducted this great experiment. And he put these three controls together. The first control was called the solitude control, where people were told, when you ride this train, don't talk to anyone. There was the normal control. those people were told, do what you normally do. And surprise, surprise, what do most people do in that condition? They don't talk to anybody, they keep to themselves. And then there was the connection control. And these people were told you need to speak to somebody that you're sitting next to on this ride. And they analyzed the experiences from these three groups and the people who were a part of the connection condition, the people who were forced to talk to strangers. Oh my God, anxiety attack, I know. People are starting to get their palms are sweating thinking about talking to a stranger. But time and time again, that was the group that was happiest. They were the most joyful and they had the most engaging and fulfilling ride. Now, it didn't matter if these people were introverted or extroverted. And it didn't matter if they were the ones who initiated the conversation or received in this communication. Both people <laughs> felt really good afterwards. And this study was conducted in city buses and in waiting rooms and in airports and in taxis and all over the city of Chicago. And it was abundantly clear that when we take time to connect with strangers, even if it's just a 40 second micro exchange, that exchange can be restorative. And how often do we wait in lines and we're on our devices not looking up at the people around us? Well, if we just pick our head up and say hi and smile, that can be enough to create a ripple effect uh, that can impact a lot of people from feeling less lonely. So for me, Ryan, I love that strategy. I love that story. And that is one of the things that I'm working on is I smile and I talk to as many strangers as I can and it has allowed me to feel fully connected, my friend. What about for you?
1: Yeah, the, the, what has stood out to me the most and what I've adopted and what's really I've carried through um, beyond the book is this, that connections don't have to be lasting to be meaningful. As an introvert, uh, my wife and I, we we often have, we're constantly, if we get asked uh, to go do something with another couple of friends, previously we're guilty of assessing like, well, is this a relationship that will go on? Will this be a substantial relationship? You know, therefore, should we spend the time to get a babysitter and and spend the time and and commit to this? And we would overanalyze it and overthink it. This would also rear its head with, you know, if I was sharing an elevator with somebody or in the coffee shop, talking to a barista, like none of that would happen because in my mind... These aren't lasting relationships. Therefore, I don't need to invest in them. And according to the research, that is just flat wrong. And so I now make it a point everywhere I go to ask this simple question of folks, whether in the elevator, elevator coffee shop, wherever it might be. And it's, how is your day going? Whatever it is, that, that subtle question, it's different than how are you doing, because that just t- tends to be kind of a script that we use, and we all kind of bounce it around, and it doesn't seem to jar people out of you know, what they're doing but the question of how's your day going generally being interested in the response has created these connections that are very meaningful, even though they're not lasting. Just the other day I asked our waiter th- this very question and she actually said that she stopped and she said, no one's, no one's you know, asked me that <laughs> recently. She's like, actually, my dog is in the vet today. We are having these challenges and she was constantly checking her phone because she was trying to get updates from the vet and it was just a moment that we shared, and we kind of bonded over d- pets. And so, again, it's this idea that connections don't have to be lasting to be me meaningful. Is has been something that uh, has changed the way I live, and it's enhanced my connections and certainly boosted my well-being.
0: Well said, my friend. Yeah, go ahead. I was actually going to have a question because I I think I. On Fishbowl, we've seen it, like, people post about it in threads a bit. Um, I don't necessarily see people, like, saying it out loud, like, I'm lonely as much. At least, like, that's not what I've, I've seen. Do you have any tips for people that maybe are listening that maybe don't actually, like,
1: identify themselves as lonely, if that makes sense? Like, what are some things people should look out for that, like, make them realize, that can make them realize, like, oh, I do actually need more
0: connection, or, like, that's not something I think about, but I have been missing that? It's a great question
1: you know we wrote the book to to broach the topic and to really have people understand the science of it and then we give some strategies in the book but we also created all these other tools to help folks one of which is the loneliness self assessment um, so if you go to lesslonely.com at the bottom of the website it's completely free uh, you can take an assessment and it's it's empirically validated to actually assess your your how well connected you are to others so that is a great way because it is as steve just mentioned and we get that a lot. We hear that a lot, Rachel, that folks just it's hard to quantify and they're not sure. Uh, am I lonely? Am I burned out? Is it depression? Is it loneliness? It's hard to hard to quantify, and partly because we don't know a lot about it. We haven't talked about it. So we, we, we're not really equipped as a species to really unpack this. And the neuroscientists have been ignoring this just as long as as the rest of us humans. And the science around loneliness is, is really only had a breakthrough in the last six years. We're going to start learning more about it. We're going to start being more aware, and we're going to start being able to to, to pinpoint it much more specifically in ourselves and others. But until then, we've got the next best thing, which is that uh, loneliness self-assessment.
0: And I'll just say, you know, there are some signs that give you indications that maybe you are feeling lonely. One is excessive work. People who work abnormally uh, long hours tend to do so because they feel an inadequacy in their personal life. And they use work as a way to distract them from some of the relationships or some of the real life things that they have to deal with. So if you're noticing that you are working all the time, that could be a cue or a clue that, hey, maybe, uh, you know, I need to forge some more connections. Another is what we call a lack of learning and development. If you are not striving to learn, to push yourself to bigger and better things, if you become very complacent at work, that's also a sign that you're not feeling inspired by the people around you and you tend to just go through the motions. So that would be another indication. Work signs would be if you are not turning on your camera at work. And I know some companies have different cultural norms, but if you're not excited to see the people you work with, if you're not making an effort to have connection versus communication, when we communicate, it registers in a part of our brain that's different from the part of our brain that registers connection. So while we're communicating all day long, it doesn't mean that we're connecting. So depending on like how transactional your conversations are at work, that can be a sign that you're not making an effort to really connect with people. And in the book, there's a whole chapter that goes through 10 of these signs. And per Ryan's recommendation, you could also do a, that quick assessment. So there are ways to figure it out. But to your point, Rachel, this is a, a new phenomenon in regards to us being aware of loneliness specifically, as opposed to some of the other emotions that we've become a bit more accustomed to.
1: All right. I know our time is coming to a close here. Steve, any parting words for this esteemed audience?
0: The only parting word is just a big thank you. I really appreciate anybody's willingness to learn about this topic. Obviously, Ryan, you and I have been obsessed with this for two years. So we're excited to share what we've learned and tell the stories and unpack the research. And it warms my heart when people are interested in learning about this, not only for themselves, but hopefully for their teams or their families or their communities, because it really doesn't take much to lessen loneliness. What it does take is awareness and some, some vigilance. And by spending an hour with us today, you can check that box. And we we thank you for
1: that. Yeah, I've got a closing story I'll share with folks that we find pretty compelling when it relates to this conversation around connection. But before I do, don't forget, lesslonely.com is where you can find all of our work and follow us. Uh, we're pretty active on social as well. Steve and I also created a podcast called the Case for Connection podcast. It's in its first season, and we unpack a lot of this research. So if you'd like this banter, you're going to love that podcast. And then don't forget, we're giving away bonuses at connectionvault.com. So again, that's connectionvault.com. We're giving a ton of resources for free for everyone here at Fishbowl. And if you're listening to this in the future as the the recorded version, uh, you've got access to that as well. So the story I wanted to close with, and thank you, Rachel, and the, the great folks at Fishbowl. Thanks for having us. Is the story of Chris McCandless? I'm sure many of you are familiar with Chris. He he was an American hiker. They eventually wrote a book about his story called Into the Wild. And he was he was quite an adventurer, and he he increasingly sought out a a nomadic and isolated lifestyle. He eventually started in Atlanta, Georgia, and he made his way all the way up to Alaska. And he was hitchhiking, and he did all these things in the early '90s. And he eventually made it to his final destination, which you know he was trying to get off the map and what a better place to do that than alaska and he entered the alaskan bush and, and he went to uh, minimal supplies he just wanted to live off the land and even is uh recorded in his journal he said society you're a crazed breed i hope you're not lonely without me so this was a, a gentleman that just wanted to get off the map he it was an extreme introvert and just wanted to just experience isolation to a whole new level and he, he achieved that. He actually uh, lived in an abandoned bus for about six months, and he eventually uh, ingested something that didn't agree with him, and it, he became very ill. And he became too weak to go back and retrace his steps and, and reconnect with society. And I just love this picture and his uh, tragic story is such a great reminder to all of us. As he's in the back of this bus, you know, kind of in his in his final breaths, and he knew it was it was his time was coming close. He's looking out onto this pristine, just gorgeous Alaskan landscape, and he achieved what he wanted. He was just absorbing this majestic landscape, and then he penned these final words in his journal. He said, happiness is only real when shared. And What a great reminder to all of us that at the end of the day, we belong together, we heal together, and at the end of the day, we are all stronger together, and we are connectable, And we should all be forging and nurturing our connections. And Chris McCandless uh, gave us a great reminder that that is so important.
0: That's all, folks. Thanks again for listening to Hardly Working. Join us live next time and talk directly to the speakers. And who knows? End of here. Fishbowl is a social network where professionals of the same industry have anonymous career conversations. You can download Fishbowl on the App Store or Google Play. If you want to host a Fishbowl Live event, get in touch at live at fishbowlapp.com. See you soon.